Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Product Marketing Life Podcast, brought to you by the Product Marketing Alliance. My name is Marcus Ini, Product Marketing Manager at Jobber. As part of this series, we're connecting with PMMs all over the world about various product marketing topics. On this special episode, our first of 2022, I thought I'd take a look back at some of my favorite conversations from the past year. While it's hard to believe that I've been at this for almost 20 episodes, it's even harder to believe how fortunate I've been to speak with so many truly talented product marketers. I'm sure you learned just as much as I did from each of my guests, which will be picking my standout sound bites, an interesting but welcome challenge to start the year. Before we get into this quick 2021 highlight reel, let me tell you about this episode's sponsor, Closed. Closed helps product marketers uncover the truth about why they win and lose. Research shows that companies that perform a comprehensive win-loss analysis program have seen up to a 50% increase in win rates. As product marketers, you know you have a lot on your plate. Let Closed help. With our world-class consultants helping to design and execute effective win-loss programs and our proprietary software that integrates with your CRM, we're here to help you start winning more. Close is offering a free buyer interview for PMA listeners. Go to www.close.com slash PMA free interview. That's C-L-O-Z-D.com forward slash PMA dash free dash interview. All right, with that out of the way, let's get into it. I'm sure that like many of you, I've been fortunate enough to be part of some great go-to-market motions over the past 12 months. When it comes to developing a go-to-market strategy, in my opinion, there are a few better experts than Derek Osgood, former product marketer and current CEO and founder of Ignition. In my chat with him earlier last year, I asked him about what he felt was the most important element of a go-to-market function. Let's listen to what he had to say. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think it's just getting a repeatable process in place. Like everybody, you know, comes at launches kind of thinking that their 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 launch is some like special snowflake, and so they end up reinventing the wheel every single time that it's time to bring something new to market, which just takes like so much time, and it basically just means that like you end up skipping launching stuff because you just don't have like the mental bandwidth to think through everything from scratch again because when you have all this other stuff flying around and. So if you put a structured process in place for like tiering the level of planning rigor and promotional support the different launches get, and then for like cascading all the procedural tasks involved, you can really focus on just executing. And also it ends up focusing your and the company's energy and effort on the like more kind of micro product level go-to-market launches that are really going to best support your kind of macro company level go-to-market strategy. And like, that's a really important problem um, that most companies get wrong is they treat every launch as equally important. And there's some that are really going to impact your like long-term positioning in the market. Whereas some of them are just going to be, they're like important to like four or five of your users that had some feature request. And so it's important differentiating those, those two things. One area of product marketing that I have always found incredibly fascinating is competitive intelligence. While interesting, it can be challenging to get up and running. At least that's what I thought until I had the chance to speak with Tamara Chabelle, VP Product at Clue. In this next highlight, listen to Tamara's advice on where a product marketer can start, even if they don't think they've necessarily ready or equipped to launch a robust compete program. The more newer CI folks or folks, you know, product marketers who are newer to CI that I talk to, the more surprised I am by some of the things that they actually haven't been doing that, um, and maybe it's by virtue of spending three years talking to folks about CI where it all seems really obvious to me, but you know, uh, and it's probably not, but there's some really simple things that I think can just help set people up for later success. So first, there is often a gold mine of information sitting in your CRM. It's untapped by folks most often. So at the moment that someone asks you to actually take on CI, go find out the current state of your competitive win rate. And you alluded to this earlier, right? Like, what is it right now? 
So don't let anybody come in and say, here's a list of battle cards we want you to build. And it's usually a list of, you know, 25 or 30, right? And there aren't 25 or 30 competitors that your sales team is actually coming up against on a daily basis. There's certainly, you know, 25 or 30 that your executive team is worried about, right? And that's a, a different concern. But if you go and, and actually dig into that CRM data and figure out which competitors the sales team is actually coming up against in a large volume of deals and what their win rate against is against each of those, you'll very quickly get a good picture of what your actual threats to pipeline are. And that tells you where you can make the biggest impact. Right, because moving a, you know, your win rate a couple percentage points against the competitor that's coming up in 90% of your deals is going to have a massive impact on your revenue at the end of the year. But if you're focused on creating battle cards for competitors that come up three or four times a year, it's not going to matter, right? That's, that's a waste of time. So let's not focus on those. So dig into that data. If you're not already collecting competitive information in your CRM, and I will say, you know, often either the fields are there, nobody's filling them out, or they haven't actually been added, that would be the point to start, right? And, and I do think um, sales teams aren't great at filling out that information because they've never seen any value from doing it, right? And this, this sort of simple threats to pipeline analysis can actually be that first key to getting them to care. Right. If you can start to report on that information, then there's a reason for them to actually be filling it out. So there's a great place to start looking. Uh, the second thing is, you know, something that I hear all of the time from our customers is how do I get my sales team to share Intel on our competitors with me? How do I get them to tell me all of those great things? Right. And sales teams are the front line. They are the ones that are in deals with prospects against your competitors they are the ones that are going to hear what's coming up. They know the truth of what your competitors are doing. But each of them knows different pieces of information, right? It's not a holistic picture. And where you can actually help them is in starting to bring that information together, right? So if you can get them to share with you, you can start to be the one that kind of level sets what is our, our understanding, right? But they're not going to just come in and start sharing with you. They're busy people, just like the rest of us. So what you need to do is actually help them to understand the value you can provide. So simple things, go back to your CRM, dump all of your team's deal notes, right? If they're collecting them, if they're actually telling you why they won or the tail of the tape, right? Or information, gather all of those, start to go through and summarize them. Because again, there's little nuggets of information in every one of those, and there's no sort of holistic picture typically across the sales team. So what can you tell them from that information that starts to like level set their understanding, right? And synthesize it. And then the second thing is if you don't already have a CI channel in Slack or Teams or insert collaboration tool of choice, uh, create one, right? And take actually take all of the findings from your CRM information and from the notes you've collaborated, share all of those in there, and then encourage your team to add the additional things they're hearing. Start to create a dialogue with them because your most important allies as you start to build up a program is going to be your sales team. Right. And the sooner that you can actually engage with them and create trust with them and actually create this culture of competitive intelligence, the more valuable your program is actually going to be. It's always great chatting with a fellow product marketer. I mean, if I wasn't, I wouldn't be hosting the show, would I? But selfishly speaking, you know what's even better? Talking to a fellow product marketer who also hosts their own podcast. I was fortunate enough to have one such a conversation with Aldi, host of the Product Marketing Careers podcast. As an expert in all things product marketing careers, I asked Al a question I know a lot of product marketers who find themselves in a new role often ask, and that's how to best approach a 30, 60, 90 day plan. Let's hear from Al now. Sure. I think it's it's a great question. And I, I think I would say for starters, 
the fact that you even have the question about that is, is, is powerful in and of itself and is a great first step, great first start, because it is very easy to forget uh, to ask that question. So I would say I'd give a couple kind of uh, principles to kind of thinking through this and to framing this up for people. So the, 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 first, the first one I would, I would say is this idea of outcomes versus actions, right? And I think a lot of times it's very easy to approach a 30, 60, 90 day plan kind of like the the to-do list for the weekend of the things that you need to do. And I think the better way to kind of think about it are, 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 are from an outcomes perspective, right? As and, and the difference being really anchoring on the the value that you're producing versus the the inputs that you're that you're just checking off the box. And so as you're thinking about that and framing it up, that is something you you should be talking about with your manager. And by the way, you don't necessarily have to have the answer to these. These, you know, part of the reason why you're you're going to work for this company and why you have a manager in the first place is because that is part of their job is to help you uh, think through this. And so, if you don't have all the answers, that's okay. But even just really, but trying to make sure that you're anchoring on that is really important. I think the second thing that I would think about is listening versus doing, and particularly early on. Um, you know, I kind of go back to that thing your parents tell you when you're a kid, or at least my parents told me when I was a kid, where uh, you have one mouth and, and two ears for for a reason. And I think that's really important, particularly when you're first starting at a at a company, because there are people who work at that company who could literally forget more about their knowledge of what it is that you're doing than than you know. And so uh, that's not to say that you don't bring value in that you're not an asset, but particularly when you start, I think it's really really important to kind of Get the right balance of listening and understanding what's going on before you 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 dive into something and and that was something I learned a lot working in consulting because you know a lot of times we were coming into organizations where you'd have these people who had been there for twenty five years and sure like I'm smart and can do a lot of research and offer up suggestions but it would be naive for me to think that their value and the insights they bring could um, isn't as nearly as important or just as important as what I would bring. And so making sure you have the right balance on that 3698 plan of, of listening and figuring out what's going on uh, uh, versus like trying to jump in and do, do something right away. And then the last thing I would say is uh, relationships uh, in really thinking about who, who are the people that you need to get to know that you need to build trust with really, really fast and making sure you're spending the right time, you know, doing that. And I think those are the three kind of principles I, I kind of think about with a 30, 60, 90-day plan, uh, really focusing on outcomes, really looking at that percentage of, of listening versus doing, and then really thinking about that list of people that you need to build relationships with. Because the, the role of a product marketer is cross-functional and you, don't, you, do, you do very little things by yourself in a silo. And so um, I, I think for those, thir- those are the three principles I kind of live and die by for that, that 30, 60, 90-day plan. Now... I know I'm not breaking any new ground here by saying this, but we product marketers sure do get asked to do a lot. From positioning and messaging to go-to-market and enablement, depending on your role in your organization, you may be asked to do it all. A truly great product marketer, like Allison Grenke, Director of Product Marketing at Lupio, is able to balance all of those asks effectively and deliver on each one. I mention Allison because during my conversation with her, she outlined how she manages that delicate balancing act herself. Here's what she had to say. I think one of my very favorite things about product marketing is also one of my least favorite things. 
Uh, and that's just the sheer variety and volume of departments and tasks that we get to have our hands in. Um, I love it and I hate it at the same time. Um, so yeah, product marketers have to balance a lot of a lot of competing activities, a lot of stakeholder interests, a lot of strategic priorities. Sometimes they align, sometimes they do not. Um, and it's what makes our role, I think, really exciting and engaging. But truthfully, it's also what can make the role feel overwhelming at times um, if, if you let it, if you don't kind of rein it in. Um, and I think, you know, when it comes to balance, I will come right out and say, I think that true balance is almost a complete myth. Um, if you have four priorities, you cannot give everything 25%. Um, some things require 80% of your time and effort for a period. And that means the other things get 20% for a while. And then when you come up for air after delivering that big, you know, project that took up so much of your time, you have to find a way to, to rebalance and to find your group again. So you're always going to have moments when you're off balance. Um, and I think the importance is kind of like being able to bounce back understand what balance looks like um, for you and your department, being able to take stock and, and course correct when, when you need to. All right, we've made it to my final highlight of the year. As our product marketer, we have to manage many internal stakeholder relationships. In my experience, few of those relationships have been more rewarding and impactful than the one product marketing forms with sales. If managed correctly, that relationship can propel product marketing to the next level within any organization. For that reason, I decided to pull some great insights from Trevor Pyle, Director of Product Marketing at Quantum. In this last highlight, listen to Trevor's advice on how to best approach building a deeper relationship between product marketing and sales. Yeah, there's, you know, there's a couple like tactical ways that you can look at this. And, you know, please excuse me if I get too tactical, but sometimes I feel like whether it's a podcast or a book, you see these, you see these really, really great strategies and you're like, oh yeah, I want to do that. But what are the actual steps you can take to get there? So I want to share share a couple of those things that we've done. Um, and it's really two prongs. You've got the boots on the ground approach and then the enablement partnership for our, you know, in our purposes, uh, it's the revenue enablement team. So the boots on the ground, it really starts with onboarding. Um, if your product marketing team is not leading onboarding sessions, helping to craft that onboarding content, I think you can change that. Um, you know, maybe this is just because I'm a former enablement guy, but uh, like I mentioned, Chris Ray, the enablement lead and myself work hand in hand to craft some of that onboarding content. We also bring in some SEs to craft that content. And then we make sure that we're hosting some of those sessions so that we're seen as the expert and the go-to in these particular things, whether it's you know comp competition, competitive landscape, pricing and packaging, or even a customer story session that we're working on. So there's that aspect of getting involved with onboarding. And then now when you flip it to actual PMMs onboarding, PMMs at Quantum probably have one of the, depending on how you look at it, worst onboarding experiences because they go through marketing onboarding, AE onboarding, SE onboarding, and get into the thick of everything because that's the day in the life approach. So, you know, you learn about the qualification process through Medic, which is, you know, our process. You learn how to build a quote. You learn how to stand up a demo environment and, you know, um, create events within these things. So you have that like spectrum from all the way from building a quote to technical demoing, um, which is really, I think, what you need to create the context and the empathy that you need to do to do your job well. And then secondarily, this is really hard, and especially when you're hiring as fast as quantum is, but try to meet every AE and SE that walks in the door, whether it's a quick 10-minute virtual coffee, whether it's catching up on something after the fact with onboarding, or just you know making yourself personable in any of these sessions that you're doing or anytime you're talking with a customer. Like, 
I happen to love smoking meats, um, as it seems like a lot of folks do in the pandemic. So whenever I talk brisket, sometimes I get a couple of SEs who will come and talk to me after the fact, and then we eventually build that relationship. So those are some of those like tactical boots on the ground approaches you can do. And then secondarily, when you're really trying to scale that, you have to have a good partnership with the revenue enablement team. I'm thankful we have that here at Quantum. But again, that means getting involved with onboarding when it comes to leading any training sessions that are not you know, onboarding specific, but maybe more point in time, we need to be involved with that. And then working with enablement to create some of these more like ad hoc um, sessions where you know every couple of weeks, we have enablement specific sessions where we have different five minute chunks going through specific content, market updates, things like that. So I think you really just need to be present and available and try to build those relationships internally because then they'll come to you and you can go to them and it just makes it really valuable. Well, that's a wrap on 2021. I hope you enjoyed these highlights as much as I enjoyed putting them together. I honestly feel like every conversation I had over the past year was chock full of great insights for my guests. So if you've enjoyed what you just listened to, I highly encourage you to take a dip into the back catalog if you've missed any episodes or if you've only recently started listening. I'll end this special episode with a quick thank you to the amazing team of the Product Marketing Alliance for continuing to allow me to host this show. I also want to give an even bigger thank you to you, the listener. I've received so much great feedback from many of you since I started this, and it's really great to know the impact the show is having on the members of the PMA community and product marketers around the world. I can't wait to chat with many of you over the next year, either informally or as a guest on the show. I hope you have a happy and healthy 2022. Thanks again for listening.